Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Hey, welcome to Resiliency. We are so thankful today to have uh, with us. They served in Central Asia now for the last 12 plus years, right guys? Um, We are actually today coming to you from uh, Europe where we've been here at a great time together with a lot of our our, uh, other family members in our org and um, welcome. We We've asked you guys today to let you know let our listeners know what have you found to be key to be able to make it for this long haul already of a dozen years. But first, I'd love for you guys just to let uh, let our listeners know a little bit about you. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Sure. I am 46 years old. We have three children, tw- uh, two boys, 12 and 10, and a daughter who is seven. Um, I studied in university as an education major, and. Um, I enjoy sports, and I enjoy my family. I am half Singaporean and half Swiss. I um, went to America to go to Baylor and met Jazz there. And, yep, after we got married, we moved to our location. And um, I love um, discipling women. And I'll add that my wife and I have had the blessing of knowing you since you were 16 years old because we used to live there in Singapore, where yes. you're from. Hey, once again, welcome. Thanks. So, uh, why don't just, I, I know you guys have a lot to say about this because literally we've walked with you through so many things and just have seen you be very resilient in a difficult place where you've lived in Central Asia, but uh, why don't you just take us into your story a little bit of being life on the field these years? Yeah, so we were we had been married for three years by the time we moved in the field. We took our oldest child over when he was three months old, so we just started our new family as we moved overseas, and that was quite an adjustment. It was quite a, quite a jump to learn not only how to live in a different country that was a very different culture and language, but also learning how to be parents at the same time. So that was just a lot at one time. So our our step into the mission field was wonderful, but it was really challenging the first year. The place we lived was very rural. It didn't have a lot of things like consistent electricity and running water and um, th- you know niceties and that kind of thing. And so it was a lot of shock at one time. And so moving was, we, we were thrilled to be there, but it was very difficult when we went over there. Yeah, I think right from the get-go, um, marriage was, was really hard for us. I think we had both had very independent lives, and then all of a sudden we landed in this little village, and we did everything together, um, from learning language to just living life, and we found ourselves in the evenings just not talking anymore, and just kind of wondering what has happened to our marriage. Mm. You know, we were our personalities also really changed. I think in the states, you know, he's such a, a woo, and he loves to connect with people and joke and and um, just have fun. And all of a sudden, 
it was like he really couldn't communicate with the people around him. And I needed him to be this strong leader that could lead me and tell me, you know, this is what we need to do and this is how we need to do it. And he really didn't know either. And mm. so um, I think he needed a helpmate and I wasn't a very good helpmate. I was just more critical, I think. And, and um, so our personalities really changed in the beginning for a while. And we realized that once we finally got some language under our belts, once we started getting out of the house and Jazz went to the office and I started visiting, like we started to go back into our normal personalities, I think. But that was a shocker that we didn't expect in the beginning. Um, and so we had to learn. Now looking back, I look at it and go, wow, that's something that's what stress can do to you is that you might not be prepared for it, but your personality might change a little as you're trying to figure out your way in a new place. So you say we got there and we got right. some language, but take us into what were some of the things that you guys did or didn't do in order to say, we're going to keep pressing forward because I'm sure there were many days that were just like, why are we here? What are we doing? And this isn't doing our marriage any good or whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, I think one, I remember one verse that was really helpful for me was, uh, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And the way that it applied to my life was if I can just focus on today, if I can focus on today and what God has for me to, for, for me for today and not worry about tomorrow, I can get to tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was literally a day to day thing for a while where I was like, I, I can't think of tomorrow or next week or three years for that matter. Like it was, it was so overwhelming at times. I just had to focus on that day and doing what I did, what I did during that day. I think one thing is to not expect so much of yourself that first six months. I think that sometimes we want to go over there and, and just accomplish a lot of things and share with people or do whatever those first six months and really to give yourself grace and say, you know what, I'm going to go slow. I'm going to learn learn the culture day by day the best I can. I'm going to start learning language and just give yourself grace that you don't have to conquer the world in six months, that you can take it step by step and just not have really high expectations of yourself. Because if you do that, I think you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm. And so you've got to give yourself slack to make mistakes and to maybe not achieve more than one thing each day or maybe not check your, your checklist off each day. And so that, that, that was a really important thing for me is to give myself grace that first, that first um, you know, six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. And to understand too, I think you know, things that we take for granted, there's just a lot of stress, even like going to the bazaar and trying to buy food and then calculate the exchange rate Mm. in your head. I mean, all those things can be really stressful and add, and we don't always realize that, but that Mm. does affect, um, yeah, Yeah. just the stress levels. And And low expectations is not low faith. Low expectations is not failing. Low expectations is just, I'm not going to think that I can do everything, you know, uh, immediately here. It's going to take time. I think for me, I was going to say, a big thing was just being vulnerable. When I was having a bad day, my, my personality is that I tend to be a strong person and try to just work through things. But those first six months, I, I learned that I needed to be vulnerable. I needed to be open and honest with my struggles and let people in. Um, that really helped me. I was really thankful that I had a pastoral oversight. I think pastoral oversights are very, very important. Just someone from the outside 
who could speak into my life, who knew me. I think in those first couple of months, I felt like a failure in many areas. Like, I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good wife. I just, I don't know how to do so many things. And it helped me to have someone from the outside speak into into my life who could say, no, you are a good wife. You are a good mom. This is normal. I needed an advocate um, during that time. Mm. I think also, um, yeah, in the same way, our team leaders weren't there the first three months we were there. And so once we really started to struggle, I remember having a phone call with my, my team leader who's back in the States, and it was really great. He said, hey, let's talk once in the week on the phone. And so in that, that really helped me almost as a lifeline to be able to just process, this is how I'm doing, this is how I'm feeling. And he was very encouraging. I also remember, I wish I had these major spiritual solutions that I did the first six months. Like, I just clung to Jesus and he pulled me through, which I tried, I did. But I also remember that not so much happening. Like I just kind of was pushing through, you know, and, and, and it wasn't some super spiritual solution that happened. Sometimes it would be a Coke and a candy bar from the store. Mm-hmm. And that was what I went to. And I realized that's not the healthiest thing to go through necessarily, but, but it was hard. It wasn't just like, I, I wish I could say I had this huge testimony of, of the way God pulled me through, which he did. So I think that, that, that there was real life stuff. Sometimes it was just, we, sometimes we put in a DVD and watch a TV show from home and that was a real comfort. And, and that, and that it's like you may, makes you feel like you're at home again. And so sometimes it was just like pushing through. It wasn't always the, you know, I spent seven hours with Jesus today and that really made me through. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was like, well, had a tough day again. Let's try tomorrow again. So mm-hmm. one day yeah. at a time. And I think for me, like the times, if I just sat at home sometimes, I just with Samuel, sometimes I would get overwhelmed or depressed or just feeling cooped up or just lo- losing vision. And I feel like... I um, I just needed to get out. And so I think I've just learned that when I get into those times, I need to I need to not wait for someone to ask me necessarily or for someone to come check on me. Sometimes I just need to get out and do stuff. Like if I'm feeling like I'm not meeting anyone, instead of just sitting there wishing that, like I just made myself go out to a neighbor's house and it just helped me get out of my funk. But, you know, if I felt lonely, I could have sat at home and just said, you know, woe is me. I don't have any friends. Mm. Instead, I chose, you know, the opposite. And I said, no, okay, I'm going to go out today or I'm going to call a friend um, or I'm going to invite somebody over. If I can't go somewhere, I'm going to invite somebody over. But, to, yeah, to, I think, to initiate. Like, I've just learned that on the field in the beginning, you have to do a lot of initiation. Mm-hmm. If you just wait for things to come to you, that's not always going to happen. That's a good so. word. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we learned was that was so helpful was I think because we were so dependent, we lived in this little village and we didn't have any other foreigners near us, we were very dependent on our neighbors for help. And I think that dependency really opened up the doorway for us to then like be able to speak into their lives. I think because we needed them so much in the beginning that um, we didn't come in as these foreigners that knew everything and, you know, here's what we have to offer. But our dependency on them, they just really loved on us and took care of us. And and that was great. I think it really um, opened up the way for friendship and then later for us to speak into their lives. And I'm really thankful. They really That's such us. a key thing to say here. You know, 
you went to the local culture and you went to the local people and began to figure out how to find belonging. You know, some of the things that we that you would have had back in your home culture, just to begin to say, what does it look like to really? I mean, that's what the word enculturation means is to is to you know adapt into the culture and the relationships. So that's great. It's also a sign of humility to be able to. Uh, yeah. receive your allow your needs to be met by by a local culture rather than the things that you you are used to from back home and I think later on even I mean it, it, it went on to where I don't do well living in two worlds trying to keep up with America and the place that we lived in I just don't have the capacity for that and I just learned I need to get my needs met where God has planted me and so mm-hmm. part of it was like not communicating as much with back home Um, and and today I know that that's you know we have access with whatsapp and instagram and all those things it's so easy to you know connect with people back home but I think sometimes it's important to give some of that up Mm. to be able to really settle and plant and 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 get your needs um, met in the community that God's put you in and part of it might be getting to know others of different organizations or different my you know philosophies maybe they might not all agree with the way we think but i've learned that some of my closest relationships are now with people that i didn't think uh, we had a lot in common but you know living in the place that we live in it's such a hard place and we need each other that it's so sweet i feel like when we have church together we, you know, we all believe that Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead. We may come from such different um, gamuts, uh, you know, like some might be more, you know, Presbyterians to Methodists to Baptists or whatever. But when in a hard place, we found out we need each other and we love Jesus and we're here for our people. And we're going to put all those other things to the side and we're going to become one. And that's been such a sweet place for me because I feel like we are all praying and and interceding and calling to God for on behalf of this people group that when another person sees someone come to know Jesus their win is my win mm-hmm. and that's been really beautiful to see that it's not just like this is this is our team so it's our win but we're all in this together and um and that's been very encouraging let's talk for a minute about about comfort and safety because one thing I know about you, you can make any place a home like nobody I know. <laughs> how, you know, how did you guys deal with going to a place where, you know, when you got there, not only did you not have the, quote, comforts of home, you literally didn't have water, you know, that, would, that you could go to the sink and turn on the tap. You didn't have a toilet within your house. We walked to it when I went to your house, you know, just... So that whole thing of how did you, um, you know, your mindset and the way that you uh, just kind of uh, endured the loss of some of the comforts and began to make, you know, a place that was so, uh, so foreign to you home. Right. You know, I think on on the, the comforts side, now you want comfort, not security, right? Oh, we're going to get security okay. next, yeah. You know, I think on the comfort side, I think... It's hard. I mean, bottom line, electricity is nice, and running water is nice, and <laughs> paved roads are nice, and ice cream is nice. We can agree on it. We can agree Honestly, on it. it was just hard. There's no question. It does get easier after a while. You do learn how to how to adjust to it, and 
sometimes, sometimes I felt like we were just trying to survive. Sometimes I just thought if we can get enough clean water for a house today and get food, it w- it'll be a good day. And, mm-hmm. and, and everything's, you know, taken care of. Um, but you, you do get used to it. And, um, but you're also more tired. I think we, we would at eight o'clock at night, we were ready to go to bed because it was just, it's just hard to live and hard we to survive. We said that was the missionary midnight. Yeah, eight, o'clock, <laughs> eight o'clock, eight mm-hmm. o'clock in our village was the missionary's midnight. And so, um, so you do get used to it, but it is hard. And, and, and you've got to also, you've got to also account for that in that we're not, we don't live in an urban society where everything is just snap your fingers and so you have to let yourself slow down. You have to mm-hmm. say, you know what, I can't get everything done today. I want to. I need to give myself some space to rest and to, to physically rest, to emotionally rest, because life is just harder. And so, and it's and it's harder for everybody else too. You know, they're all they all like hard life too. And so, um, you have to slow down to to allow yourself to adjust to that kind of thing. So for me, when I, whenever I go to a new place, I feel like our home is, it's really important for me to make home home, a safe place and a place that I want to come back to. Um, I think when we first moved there, we visited a lot of homes and they had like peeling paint on the walls and it was just, it, it had no, it was not beautiful. And I love beautiful things and I love painting and the wall colors and decorating. And at first I thought, okay, God, if this is what you've called me to, I can do this. Um, but God in his kindness brought another missionary to my house one time in America before we were leaving. And she said, this is what gives you life. This is who God's made you to be. You need to do this when when you go on the field and at first I thought really but nobody else in our city lives like this but the minute we got there I painted the walls and I you know brought decorations and brought quilts and put up picture frames and it was interesting because I think some people live with the mentality of you know we might have to evacuate tomorrow so why even invest in putting things up but I think for me I was like I need to be able to feel like this is my home and I want to come home to it every day and it's okay and the locals don't expect me to live the way they live they know that I come from a different culture and so that's been something I think along the way that has also been blessed other other M's on the field I think when they come to our home they're like wow I feel it's peaceful and it's comfortable and even for our kids I mean we live within four walls I had the talk sometimes of how much is too much you know but I'm like, we have a trampoline, and we have a basketball hoop, and we have a ping pong table, and, and you know, we, we realize our kids don't have a lot of the opportunities like just going to a park or going to Starbucks or all those kinds of things that they would have in some other countries, and so we've had to create our home into a place where even our kids can enjoy it and have fun, otherwise they'll be asking me every five minutes, what do I do, what do I do, you know? And I don't think it's over the top. It's not like we're living you know, these luxurious lifestyles. It's just having some things that are that are things that make it a home, that make it easier for us to be there. You know, Yeah, we're there. talking about making it for the long haul. Yeah. And yes. you make a decision here and a choice there that will, will you know, yes. uh, help us to make it. Yeah. Right. Through these years, you, only you know the number, but I can safely say I can remember six to eight times that you guys have needed to evacuate. At any point in time anyone could think it would be reasonable and understandable for this family to no longer remain there. It's so hard. It is dangerous. Talk to us about that, guys. You've been living in a place that is very hard, and it's also been 
quite risky and dangerous. Right. You know, when we went to this country, we knew that. We knew that it was dangerous. We knew that there were terrorist organizations who were active. We knew that it wasn't going to be just a guarantee that we'd be safe. And I think it's one of those things, I mean, it sounds very simple, honestly, but for me, it was a matter of God asked us to come here, so we're going to come here. Mm. And that's what's, that's what's kept me there this, for these 12 years, is that this is God's call on our life, and so we're going to obey it. And that's what's kept me there, honestly, through the hard times, through the, the, through the threats we've received, through the concerns about security, through the demonstrations... Um, to the questions of do we have to leave, you know, and, and we were, we're wise. We, we, we've had to evacuate. We've had to leave sometimes, and we've had to come back. But, but the thing that's kept, kept me there has been this is what God is asking us to do, so we're going to stay, and we're going to push through. Um, we had to count the cost, and, and we have to continually count the cost at different times. Just like the story where it says uh, in the book, um, before you build a tower, you've got to count the cost. Mm-hmm. And so there's been times we've had to count the cost. For me, as, as, as the husband and father, I've had to count the cost for me and then count the cost for my wife and then count the cost for my kids. And there, are, there have been different nights at 10 o'clock when I've been wide awake in bed and fears hit me of what if this happens? What if this happens? What if I die? What if my kids grow up fatherless? What if both my wife and I die? What if one of my children hmm. dies? What if one of my children gets kidnapped? Different things like this. And there's a place where you have to, at the end of the day, you have to say, God, I trust you. Mm-hmm. I trust you with my life. Mm-hmm. I trust you with my family's life. You know, the day I was born, you know, the day I'm going to die. And the same for all my family. Now, that does not mean, mean we are unwise. We are wise and we take precautions and we, 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 we learn about the situation that's happening and we make good decisions. But at some point, I've got to say, God, I trust you. So I will obey what you've called me to do. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, we've had friends killed. We've had friends kidnapped. We've had friends arrested. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel like every time that we've gone back into our country, I've had to, to lay chairs on the altar again and say, God, I give him to you. And, you know, really wrestle with God until I get to the place where I say, God, no matter what happens, I don't ever want to leave being bitter or upset at you. And, um, you know, so just really waiting on the Lord and and hearing what he says. And I think for for me, the verse that God has given me, um, you know, is that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and, and violent men, forceful men lay hold of it. And just, I feel like God's called us to be one of those forceful people. And there's something about being in our land and fighting on behalf of the people. And so... There was one time that had a threat, a kidnapping threat on his life. And I remember that, you know, we left the country and about a month later we prayed and we both really felt peaceful about going back. And I remember people were asking us, well, how do you know that the threat is still in a, not, you know, is, is gone or, you know, that, that it's not going to happen again. And, and we just learned that we keep getting all these threats, you know, they're just pretty normal that, you know, they're. They're, the terrorist group is looking to take a woman, an American woman, or, you know, just different things like this. And we've just realized if we continue to, like, react to each one of these threats, I mean, we just won't be there. And so we've had to, we've had to wait on the Lord and say, okay, God, you know, if, you know, please lead us and guide us. And at some point, 
we've had to leave our homes, you know, so we're wise for like a day or two or three, we stayed home. But then, you know, sometimes I've just had to make myself go to a neighbor's house next door, you know, and just little by little start going out again, just saying, God, I trust you. If I'm going to be here, I can't live with fear all the time. Mm -hmm. I've got to trust that my life is in your hand. Yeah. And sometimes we get a very clear answer that the threat is done. And sometimes we don't. Well, for this one threat, when we came back, we we actually had very specific proof that it was done. So much to the fact that the the terrorist who threatened me uh, joined the government, and I met him, <laughs> and um, and it was a very nice conversation I had with him. You know, so that that was a very clear one where it's like, okay, well, I guess the threat's done. You know, and um, he was now on the side of the government, and you know, but um, you, you, you do, we have to pray and just tr- trust God and do what He says. And I think one of the biggest things is is not to let a spirit of fear take over. Yeah. I think in all of our planning for, you know, what are our escape routes if we need to evacuate? What are our evacuation routes? What are our, our plans? I always would, would think to myself, we are not we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And that is going to guide us. We are not going to be guided by fear when we talk with, through what could happen or what do we do, what could our response be. We're going to have... Um, a spirit of peace and a spirit of, of trust in the Lord be um, what guides us through these things. Talk about the children. Your kids have grown up literally their entire lives there. You know, I think our kids love it there, honestly. They, they love living in the country we live in. They've just, it's home to them and they've gotten used to it. And it's, it's really, they've gone, to, they've gone to America. They've gone to other countries that are safer when we go out on a break. But they have, but this is their home right now. And, um, they they are resilient. They they have really they have really made this their home, and we didn't make them to make them do that. We didn't force that. It just kind of happened. And I think they realize, you know, this we're called as a family. This is not just mommy and daddy's calling. And I think they mm-hmm. understand that. And from the time that they were little, you know, when I've gone to visit women, I've taken them along. And I think they've just always been a part of just ministry and life that we do, that that's really all they know. They don't really know different than that. And, you know, it's been hard. It's come with its challenges. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had to overnight evacuate the city that we were in because of security. Long story short, we ended up not being able to go back to our city. And our um, nine-year-old, he's 12 now, but at that time, nine-year-old, when we told him that we couldn't go back, he wept and wept and wept. Mm. And it broke our hearts to see our son in such pain. Um, And, you know, and, and it just took him by surprise. And that was the only home he's ever known. And, you know, we've had to walk through how much do we tell our children, you know, when things like this happen, how much can they handle? What can they not handle? And we've realized that they pick up a lot from us. Well, I just want to say you guys have, have planted and watered well. Mm-hmm. You've loved your nation well. I'm a witness to it. I've seen you doing it on the ground even. Um, you, you have made a difference and you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. There will be reaping uh, in your nation. You guys... Uh, may see some, you may see uh, much, but but there will be reaping because God's kingdom is at work because you guys have gone as ambassadors and well done, well done. We're so proud of you and thankful for you. And uh, because I know uh, 
you guys have something. I mean, just for Silas and I to sit here and hear you once again just sharing about your love for your nation, your love for Jesus. Uh, you've got something that I think our listeners would love to have a part of, and I'd, we'd love for you guys just to pray a prayer of blessing and impartation uh, as we close sure. today. Sure. Thanks. So, Father, thank you for every person listening to this podcast. Thank you for every person who is moving onto the field, who is considering to move onto the field. And we pray for them, Lord. We pray that you, your hand would be on them, that your hand would be um, the one guiding them. We pray that you would call them and that your call would be what keeps them on the field, that you would equip them and prepare them to go over, Lord, that they would be healthy, that they would, they would have health in the way they see their call and the way they see, they see the way they should obey you and follow what you're saying. Uh, we pray that you prepare them and speak to them and then when they get in the field, I pray that you would give them resiliency mm-hmm. to trust in you, to depend on you, to rely on you, and to, to be able to make it for the long haul as long as you've called them to be there. I pray that you would help them to not put too much pressure on themselves, but to give themselves grace and space to adjust and to grow into the role they're supposed to have. And we pray for your blessing on them. God, the blessing of perseverance and dependence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, that's it for this week's episode. You've been listening to Resiliency. This episode has been produced by me, Silas West, with help from my co-host, Steve Finley. We are so grateful for the generosity of our guests for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you. We also want to give a big shout out to the band Honest Men, who wrote and performed the music in our intro and outro. Special thanks for the voice talent of Sarah Neely, who introduced us at the beginning of the episode. If you liked what you heard, encourage your friends to subscribe and tune in in two weeks from now for the next episode of Resiliency.